0: Uh, so we've been in the middle of a series uh, called uh, Why This Matters, and it's really been looking at uh, the symbol of the cross and, and really beyond the symbol, what it really means and what, how we're really connecting with it. Uh, I'm going to go through a bit of an introduction here because we, if, if we can have three Sundays in a row where absolutely everybody is here, then i won 't have to repeat introductions, and that will be just great so uh, but we 're just going to go through a little bit of introduction to the series, uh, just so that we get it. But uh, the idea is that you know the cross is such a, a public, such a familiar symbol that um, we don 't often really think about what it means, and there 's a lot of theological depth to what Jesus accomplished on the cross, and beyond the theological depth and understanding, uh, there's stuff that really affects how we live, and that's kind of what we want to dig into. This, uh, this image here is just a woman who is just simply, uh, I mean, we don't know what she's doing, it's a still image, but simply sort of crossing herself, and, and this, this phrase came to mind as I was introdu- thinking about how to introduce this idea about the, the cross. Uh, this is Latin, Christiani frontum crucis signu, signaculo, terminus which means which is a phrase that was uttered by tertullian or written by tertullian around 199 AD that said we christians wear out our foreheads with the sign of the cross and uh, and even before we had a lot of christian art where the cross was an important symbol uh, in churches and in homes or or in jewelry and all of that kind of thing uh, christians very very early on before the time of tertullian were identifying themselves to one another with the sign of the cross, Uh, and sometimes just doing that as a sign, uh, a prayerful thought before they did any activity. But certainly in places of persecution, it would be sort of a subtle way of a Christian sort of trying to find out if this other person they're talking to is a Christian, and they would just sort of do one of these... And uh, the other person would just sort of do one of these and and it was evident that they could communicate with one another uh, as believers, and it would be a safe space for them to do that without uh, being caught and taken before magistrates and and all of that so this this even from from those early days where it was just the actions of the fingers, the memory, uh, the cross has been an important part of christianity and of course, uh, we always remind ourselves that it 's pointed itself back to a historical event to something that actually happened and we have um, just so much textual evidence uh, to the fact that this person, Jesus Christ, uh, was crucified and and died and and rose again and and so that historical action is uh, is is something that Jesus took that actually performed work for us was really important uh, that way and in the years that followed that time of of understanding what Jesus did and grappling with the historicity of what happened and all of the growth of the church that was just sort of exploding uh, at that time, some really important concepts came out of it and these are just now big theological Words that we use substitutionary atonement, imputed righteousness, christus victor, uh, propitiation, expiation, reconciliation, christus exemplar, so all these sort of really big kind of uh, words that we see in theology books and uh, and the wrestling with it if our if our discipleship programs and our uh, and our teaching about what Jesus did and about what the cross is all about is sort of so cerebral and sort of so book oriented. Uh, it's possible that we can be uh, people who are sort of so heavenly minded, we're we're no earthly good. On the other side, we could be people who uh, just don't know anything about what the cross has accomplished for us. We could be like a poser. We could be like uh, the guy on the beach with the surfboard who clearly has no intention of going in the water. (laughs) <laughs> he just wants to look like he's got a surfboard right and so that it, uh, there, there's really a question in terms of how we grapple with the concepts around what Jesus did for us on the cross that we really want there to be just a high level of authenticity we really want it to be real we want to understand it and we want it to uh, affect our lives I was in getting my passport uh, photo uh, taken the other day and uh, it was just—it was just kind of a hilarious experience because if you have you even had your passport photo taken recently, you're not allowed to smile, right? You're, you're aware of that. And yeah, yeah, I got—I got, I got the spiel, you know. So just so you know, you sit down, and I'm gonna take your picture. Uh, you're not allowed to smile, and so I'm like this. I'm like. She's like, okay, so you're not allowed to smile, but you also shouldn't look like a terrorist, <laughs> you know? So, so she's like, okay, she's like, I'm like, okay, so. Like, you know, like, i am trying to do something with my faith. No, she's like, just maybe just smile with your eyes. I'm like, (laughs) it's like, like, how am I doing this? Like, like authentic, but, but without showing your teeth. And I'm like, (laughs) it's like just ridiculous. And the woman had me tied in such knots and we were just laughing our heads off. But that's what it really comes down to is how do we, how do we do this in a way that's just, just really authentic and really real, right? How do we do Christianity in that way? And, and in terms of the cross and what happened, uh, for those people who were uh, walking uh, with this new knowledge, new understanding early, early in the life of the church, for them uh, walking with it authentically meant some really serious stuff. Uh, this is uh, Ignatius of Antioch, 84 AD, so very shortly after the time of Christ. As for me, my charter is Jesus Christ. The inviolable charter is his cross and his death, and his resurrection, and faith through him. And Ignatius of Antioch was eaten by lions in the Roman Colosseum in 108 AD for believing that. So what is it about this idea that is that powerful that, that you would be willing, or, or this person would be willing, to uh, go... Uh, to extreme punishment in front of thousands of people and extreme pain without renouncing that belief. Like, like why would they do that? Uh, The same is true of St. Stephen. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Lord, do not hold this sin against them. The last words of St. Stephen before they stoned him. Don't hold this sin against them. Like, literally, passionately loving the people who were throwing stones at him and killing him. What... Happened. Uh what what why is like this is just a piece of jewelry that people wear. Why did why did this guy die for that? Like how did this change him so much? Like like he he must be taking this ridiculously seriously. And and of course St. Stephen is just echoing the words of Jesus, Father forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. So something about what Jesus said and did on the cross uh performed Uh, A radical transformation in the lives of the people who heard the story, and it's performed a radical transformation in my life. And so the question is, is what are those things, and, and how do we really connect with them? So the reason the early Christians endured that hardship was that they had, they believed that the cross worked, it had changed them. It changed them. It changed their friends, it changed their families, it saved marriages, it, it, it put them in a place where they knew that they had an intimate relationship with God. Um, and so when, when we look at what theologians have developed in terms of thinking through some of the core ideas about what came out of the cross, it's really answering these basic questions. I can't pay for my mistakes. I can't seem to do enough. I experience spiritual darkness. I don't know what God is like. He must be angry at us. I feel worthless. Others have wounded me deeply. I can't stop doing things that hurt. I have no right to be with God. I feel distanced from him. I don't know how to live. These are the deep, deep questions that we wrestle with as humans. If we're honest, so this morning we're gonna we're gonna wrestle with uh, with this this thing of what do we do when others have sinned against us? What do you do when others have sinned against us? The image on the screen is of a guy breaking uh, into an, uh, into a person's house. Have, have any of you had your home broken into and had stuff stolen? It's just been not not very many of you, but do you know what that feeling is like? If you talk to someone who's had that experience. What's that? Somebody stole our car, took it for a joy ride, and it to a crisp. Uh, Yeah. Like so so things things happen to you, but but what, what happened, like I mean I can I can only describe it from Anna and my perspective. We've never actually had someone come into our house and, and steal our stuff, but but people who've had that experience, they feel like their home's violated, right? They can feel very unsafe going back into that space. And, and there's a way in which there's a there's a sense of uncleanness about it because somebody's been in your space and been there without your permission and done things that have that have violated your rights of property your rights as a person uh the time Anna and I experienced uh, this wasn't through a theft it was a bizarre thing it was up at the cottage and a a tree fell on the roof of the cottage and uh and what happened uh, we had just got there at dusk. we got up there pretty late it's anna's parents' cottage and a, and a, a branch from the tree had. Punched right through the steel roof and 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 was protruding down into the cottage and we went there and I went, I could go around with a flashlight and check and make sure that the structure is okay I don't think too much water is going to leak through that hole. Um, should we just stay here the night or should we go home and, and and come back and sort the cottage another time when we have tools and things like that and and what Anna described in that moment was just a feeling like it just I don't know how to describe it. It just doesn't feel right. It's like, it's like the cottage has been stabbed and there's this knife protruding down into it. And for lack of better language and, and, and we, us knowing that it's not really rational, there's a, there's a sense that, man, I just don't want to be in this space. So we packed up the kids and and, and went home and, and slept at home that night and dealt with the uh, the problem with the cottage another day. But this is what people have experienced who've had their, their homes uh, robbed. There's a way in which things can happen to us in the world that are completely out of our control. Much of what we've talked about in terms of how we deal with sin has been dealing with sin that has been uh, sin that we have done, choices that we have made, uh, things that we have done that have made us unclean and that have violated us and have offended the heart of God. But very often we struggle with uh, sins that have done against us, things that have happened uh, completely out of our control. And the theological concept that we uh, we deal with in, in terms of from the scriptures that theologians and biblical writers have looked at Uh, over the years is the concept of expiation means is that your sin and uncleanness is washed away or more literally taken away it's actually taken away Uh, and where we see this uh, concept in the scriptures we see it really early on in the old testament we see it in exodus Uh, how many of you are familiar with the concept of the scapegoat so what they did early on, I'll just read the text, but the goat chosen by Lot as a scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to be used for making atonement. And in particular, uh, that particular word is expiation. By sending it into the wilderness as a scapegoat. And so what they would do is a part of the, the early process of the community inter, uh, relating to God and, and dealing with their sin is in some ways that sin was dealt with through sacrifice. And the point of a sacrifice is to let you know and to let you as a person be really clear that you're communicating to God and to the community that that you know that your actions have cost the community something. Um, And so that's why you make a sacrifice of a valuable animal or something like that. That's just the the very base idea behind all of the religious mumbo-jumbo. But the other thing that was important in that community was like, there's just stuff we don't know. There's stuff that we don't see. We've interacted with people... Uh, from from other lands. They brought their idols into our camp and, and nobody can really know all of the stuff that that they've uh, interacted with. And there's a way in which the community is just, just in some way polluted and in some way unclean by the environment that we're in. And so the concept that God gave them for dealing with that was to not only have a goat that was offered as a sacrifice by the high priest, but they would take another goat and they would bring it into the center of the temple area and they would just lay their hands on it And the high priest would just pray. And he would just pray through everything he knew about the sins of the community and the sins of the people uh, in the land that they were interacting with. And he would be literally imparting those sins symbolically uh, on this goat. And and, and this is just a symbol that, that God allowed the people to have so that they could understand that their sins were being taken away and were going outside the camp and away from them like just these are just powerful images that god was using to communicate with a uh, relatively primitive nomadic people right so a lot of the stuff we see in the old testament that just seems like religious Craziness! this doesn't make any sense to me, was actually really powerful in terms of communicating uh, something important to those people in that time. And so they would lay their hands on the goat and, and the priest would take the goat outside the camp and they would give it a whack on the butt with something and it would just go off into the wilderness and the desert. And the people would celebrate that their sins had been taken away. Expiation. And so built early into the life of the church, God had that mechanism uh, in place, but we see uh, reference to it all through the New Testament. Here, Old Testament. Here's later on, near the end of the Old Testament. For on that day, and this is speaking ahead to Jesus' time. For on that day, there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. That there's a way in which there's just simply a cleansing. Uh, that has to happen. We're just going to unpack it a little bit more, but but beyond just having your house robbed or having uh, things like that happen happen to you, that you know, some of us sometimes it's just little stuff. People will say things about you behind your back. Sometimes it's an employee would betray you at work. Sometimes it's uh, you'd be in. You know, you guys all know many many situations in which you would be sinned against in 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 little ways. But but sometimes it's not just little ways, is it? That we we people are, are sending in. I'm going to just tell you the story uh, of Mary. Um, Mary is, it's just a random name. I don't know why I chose Mary, but uh, Mary is a, a woman that uh, that came into community years and and years ago. Uh, she was sort of in her uh, late 20s and had been uh, married sort of earlier on, like probably maybe 23. Uh, married really early on and they came into a space where they were wanting some counseling for their marriage and and going through some really uh, difficult stuff together and uh, and part of what was going on in their relationship was that uh, they were they were in a place where in terms of their uh, romantic relationship with them as a couple is that it really broken down and they were almost not showing any love or tenderness or affection to one another in in any way and when we got down to the the the, the reasons for it neither of them could really articulate a reason why they didn't want to be together, or why they didn't want that to happen, but but the the bottom line was that they uh, both, and Mary in particular, just simply felt. She, she said, "I just feel dirty. I just feel unclean. I just don't want that intimacy." Is what it came down to. And as we began to unravel uh, Mary's story, we. We saw that she had had a history of, of abuse in her family that went back to a time when she was quite young. Uh, coming out of that, she'd been quite promiscuous through high school. And and she'd had just a whole host of, of, of difficult things. Uh, she'd been raped. She'd had just a whole host of diff- difficult things. But it was really that uh, sense of that abuse, and in particular that rape that happened uh, in her late teens where she just absolutely just felt violated. She felt dirty. She felt unclean, on a subconscious level, and just really wasn't able, as a person, to open herself up in her marriage and and in her life and and in her family. And she just had a whole pile of pain around her around her sexuality. And it's uh, it's it's expiation. It's the ability of Jesus on the cross to deal with those sins that by no choice of her own, uh, and I know things are complex, but to deal with those sins that were done against her and see that, that even though they were completely outside of her power, uh, that, that she couldn't undo them, she couldn't wish that uh, she hadn't participated in them. You know, uh, you know, who's guilty in, in the case of a rape? You know, it's the, it's the rapist. She, she didn't own any of that, right? Um, But how do you deal with it then if it's not my responsibility, if it just happened to me? And it's in this concept of of expiation that, that we can really see that her sin can be taken away. The sin that had been done to her and the violation that had been done to her. That she could be washed and she could be cleansed. We see this in the book of John. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that, uh, that word all uh, really is, just to unpack it in the Greek, really encompasses everything that taints a person. Like, like everything that, that taints your relationship with God, everything that, that gives a coloring to your life of darkness and of pain. Uh, everything can be dealt with by the blood of Jesus. And so for Mary, uh, the, the prayer th- stuff that went on and that began to happen was really around just her accepting uh, the expiation, accepting that her sin could be taken away just as a completely free gift of God. It just completely free because Jesus loved her. She could literally lay her hands on a symbolic goat and say, all of these things that were done to me, I lay them on this and it's just gonna go away because Jesus is gonna take it away. And she could begin to feel uh, clean. So sometimes it's things like that, and some of you have experienced that. I just really encourage you, if there's some of you that have experienced that level of violation and pain and, and stuff in your life, that counselors uh, can be really, really brilliant. In particular, Ottawa Christian Counseling Services, there's people that we refer to that can be just really, really brilliant at helping you walk through uh, some of the pain that you're carrying against, some of that stuff that just might be stuffed. That have been done to you, but 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 the only way that can get dealt with is if you if you share it, if you open up your heart, and you begin to uh, let the Lord uh, let the Lord heal it, let the light shine. Uh, the broader text in John there is all about letting the light shine in. It's all about letting the light shine in, and and there's such a when 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 sin has been done to you, when something has been done to you, if you've been uh, the victim of abuse. Uh, In any way, the, the biggest trap in it is shame, right? You feel an enormous amount of shame about these things that have been done to you. And shame causes you to cover up and shame causes you to hide. And the Lord would just say, just trust me and gently open yourself up to me. I can set you free and I can make you clean. I can cause your sin to be away from you. The sin that's been done to you as well as the sin that you own. And you can be set free. So for some of us, those really deep things, uh, sometimes in particular talking, sometimes to guys, sometimes it's things that we've seen that make us feel unclean. We just live in a place, uh, and I'm speaking specifically about pornography, uh, we're living in a place where there's just so much access to stuff that can come uh, into into your home and into your life, uh, through whatever devices you're carrying. That that there's just so much access uh, for y- for you to. To just all kinds of stuff and and sometimes it's 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 not pornography it's sometimes it's trauma that we've experienced as people Uh, sometimes it's having witnessed an accident or sometimes it's somebody who might be working as a professional in uh, in sort of emergency services or something like that there's a way in which sometimes things that are still outside of us but are just things that we see make us unclean and you just feel slimed by having encountered them, by having uh, been in the world and and, and and run into them. Sometimes in the case of things that we look at voyeuristically, uh, there's repentance, deep repentance that needs to happen uh, for for guys that are going out on the internet and looking at stuff that they shouldn't be looking at. But the Lord can wash you. The Lord can make you clean. He can make you whole. Um, and again, uh, just I just want to pull out this text story without... Uh, just want to look at john uh, chapter 13 really briefly um and this is jesus uh you know just shortly before the time of his death um connecting with peter around the the washing of, of his feet and he says this um jesus sort of comes down the disciples are all there in the upper room and jesus does the strangest thing he strips down to his uh to his underclothes, and he wraps a towel around his waist and he begins to go around the room and, and and wash his disciples' feet. This is a strange thing for a rabbi, for a master to do. And when he comes to Simon Peter, uh, Peter says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus says, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who has had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. And he's speaking of Judas. What Jesus is sort of uh, pointing out to Peter here is a is a condition that we're all in as believers. We're all in a place where uh, if you have given your heart to Jesus and you have allowed him to take away your sin, you've acknowledged the work that Jesus has done on the cross, you've accepted him as your personal savior, there's a way that positionally as people that we're... We're clean. That we know we're going to heaven. We ultimately know that we have uh, a place of, of relationship with God. Again, that theological term is positional salvation. You have that place, but you know, those of you who know and have an assurance of salvation, you know that Jesus has cleansed you. Uh, you also know that there are still times when you feel slimed, right? If you're if you're honest. You feel slimed and, and dirty and you're wrestling with, with stuff that you've allowed yourself to see or stuff that has happened to you or stuff that you've encountered in the world. And what Jesus says that is in the cross and in what I've done for you, it's it's my passion to to wash your feet. You you've had a bath, your whole body is clean, but you've been walking in the world and you've you've run into pornography over here, or you've run into something on Uh, uh, that your friend said at work over here and that's made you feel slimed or somebody has uh, violated your house and your space or somebody has uh, betrayed you at work or somebody has told lies about you or believed things about you that are untrue and you know the positionally before the Lord that you're clean and saved but just as we walk through life we just constantly get mucked up again and again and so what this basin and the towel image of Jesus coming and washing our feet is just uh, his way of saying that this is a process you're clean before him but but the stuff that you encounter I want to just continually wash that off your feet as well and so we come before Jesus uh, humbly and we let him wash our feet we let expiation happen we let him cleanse us we let him take our guilt our sin away so that we can walk forward clean and whole again and of course uh later on in the story in john he talks about how we're to do that for one another there's a human part of that process where through confession to one another and and everything else that uh that we get to participate in that with him so just to tell another story and it's not the story of mary but it's a similar story of a couple that were in a place where uh, they had a relationship uh, with one another where their sexuality was wounded by um, the things that had happened in the past and this is in the past and this is a story that uh, mark driscoll tells it's not my own story Um, but he uh, he tells the story of, of this couple who uh, late in their life uh, they've been married for quite a long time and they've been wrestling with this question of why can't we be intimate what is wrong with our our, our lives here and uh, the wife finally confesses to infidelity uh, early in, in the marriage and, and uh, even before that they were married and uh, she, she sees this anger rise up in the life of the, of the husband and sees him really uh, wrestling with this and, uh, and, and in wrestling with this, this sort of pain, this sense of betrayal, this thing that wasn't uh, disclosed to him in the past, and it's a woman's story, again, it, it's not really fair, this could easily be a story that's told of a man's infidelity, just want to be really, really clear that we're not vilifying women here, but this, is, this could, could really easily be, be the, the opposite way. And, and what the man did, he got out in the car and he began to drive and, and wrestle with what to do and and in the end, uh, her not knowing that, that he was going to even come back to the house, not because of the anger that he went out of the ho- house with, uh, he, he came back into the home uh, with a box for her. And he came and, uh, and he, he put the box on the bed, and she opened it up, and inside uh, the box was a beautiful white dress. And he said, my wife, will you come with me? This is more intimate than should be shared maybe with teenagers in the room, but will you come with me? And he, and he invited her into their, their bathtub, invited her into the shower. He said, will you just let me ceremonially even, if I can, as my heart is is able to just wash you? And he washed her and he washed her hair and, and, and cleansed her physically just as an act of love and an act of intimacy and an act of forgiveness. And he pulled her out of the shower and he, he dried her off and he wrapped this white robe, or this white dress around her and had her, had her put it on. And he said, I want you to know uh, that those things that happened to your past, I see them no more. You are clean, you are my virgin bride. You are my precious wife, and I love you. And you need to know that that's what Jesus does for you. All of the stuff that you've walked in, all of the stuff that you've seen, all of the stuff that's happened to you, all of the pain that you carry for that, Jesus takes it, and He takes you in the most intimate way and in the most intimate space. And he washes you clean. And wraps you in robes as white as snow. And you are his virgin bride again. He loves you. And he just wants to heal you. Let's stand and pray. Pray for all of us here who through walking through the mud and muck of life are just become unclean. We've had stuff happen to us. We've run into stuff. We've made choices to see things we ought not to see. Um, things outside of us have slimed us and have darkened our hearts. And we just ask, Father, you would give us the courage and the grace to just open our hearts to you and to let the light shine in. To let you just see it. And to just know with our hearts that as we confess uh, those shameful things that we've been hiding, that we've been covering up, that we've been afraid to talk about, as we open our hearts to you, you just wash us and cleanse us. It's what you did on the cross when you said, Father, Forgive them, for they know not what they do. Forgive the things we don't know. Forgive the things we don't understand. We forgive the things that have been done against us. They're beyond our power and beyond our control. We release them to you, Jesus, and ask that you would set us free. Heal our hearts, O Lord, we pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and do your work in us. Would you allow every uh, man and woman here to feel themselves made new? To feel themselves cleansed and loved and adored by you? Would you give uh, to us a new identity? That we would see ourselves as holy and clean because of what you've done. Set us free, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.